Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to My Favorite Work of Art with me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is Robert Rinder. Robert is a barrister, writer and a hugely popular television personality. Since 2014, he has fronted the hit ITV show Judge Rinder. And in 2016, he appeared on the BBC's Strictly Come Dancing show, wowing both the judges and the public for 11 weeks before finishing in fifth place. Since 2017, he has written a weekly column for the Evening Standard newspaper. And despite his hugely successful media career, remarkably, Robert remains a practising criminal barrister. I'm delighted he's joining me today. Welcome, Rob. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> what a lovely introduction. <laughs> what a delightful voice as well. <laughs> Wish I sounded like that. <laughs> oh, People might you. like me more. <laughs> well, I adore you for that. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so tell me, what is your favourite work of art? Well, gosh, this is actually a challenging one, but it was fascinating when you asked me to do this. I immediately gave you a reaction, um, which, um, uh, when I thought about it afterwards, was a little bit, little bit of a surprise to me because there's so many, but I- I'm completely sure of it. It's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? Your favourite work of art. But mine is uh, Francisco Goya's um, The Dog in the Prado Museum uh, in Madrid. And it really matters to locate it. Um, you know, the, because where it happened, where I saw it, my experience of it is, for me, almost as important of, as the work of art itself. Mm. Um, I mean, in front of us today, we've got mm. some terrible printouts of the, the, I know, the it's artwork. It's fascinating how flat it is. Yeah, so describe what the painting was like when you saw it in real life. And well, is that the first time you saw it as well? It was you... the first time I'd seen it. Now, I'd seen it in... So, so the dog exists in a series of paintings, um, as anybody could easily Wikipedia and find out uh, in Goya's black paintings. And of course, they were painted on a wall. So how much of the actual original paint survives is interesting. We don't know. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, the, the painting that I'm looking at is, is almost impossible to describe. It's simple, really. It's in two parts, perhaps sky, perhaps some other angular form. And in the middle of it is a drowning dog. I use the word drowning. In fact, from memory, that was the description... Uh, on the piece on the wall. I loathe curators putting descriptions of art on the wall. They're nearly always just appalling, but there you are. I'm not sure the dog is drowning, but that certainly is how it appears. Um, And it exists as part of a series of paintings, the black paintings, and they're called the black paintings at a time, um, and I knew this, I should be clear, I knew a little bit before going to see them, 
when again we the biography is 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 not entirely clear but there's certainly suggestions uh, that goya was struggling with his mental illness at the time we know he was uh, going deaf and it happens really towards the end of his life having experienced and lived amongst and responded to uh, external moments of absolute violence extraordinary anyway um, like lots of people, you, you go and see the big works of art, tick them off. And that's what I was doing. Um, and I never pretend in front of art of any kind, opera or any of it. Um, you know, an ounce of pretension or falsity is worth a bucket load of horseshit as far as I'm concerned. Um, and in fact, we'll often walk out and have walked out of um, you know, opera and that sort of thing where I've felt people are just sort of displaying mm. rather than really engaging with it. And, I felt, I, you know, I can see that's what they're doing. I can't bear it. You know, it sort of creeps up my arm and I feel asphyxiated by it. Um, and that's true of great works of art as well. You know, I've been you know, put into a coma by works like by Titian and walked around Florence and, you know, scared, stared at various Madonna with child and sort of slipped into a coma. I mean, that, that you know, I, I can't pretend ever I don't have that. My spinal column doesn't touch my brain in that way. <laughs> what I have learned is that um, what's happening at the time in my life or how I'm viewing it, the, 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 sort of, the, the circumstances, the people around me, whether it's empty, definitely has an effect on my capacity to experience art. And um, we went to the Prado and there was no one around. Wow. It was empty, which was really unusual. Mm, incredibly. Right. I mean, just sort of three or four people. A really lucky time of the day. Nobody wanted to go. It was hot, boiling hot outside. And um, we walked through this series, first seeing Saturn, which is almost unimaginable to describe. You, you, you can't... It's a very gruesome image of uh, Saturn devouring his son. Right. We talked about it in series one, actually. I had Gillis McKinnon on, the film mm. director, and he picked that mm. very gruesome image. And it's interesting that, I mean, I... I, I like contemporary work as well, and you, you can see how Jake and Dinos Chapman have responded mm. to that work as well. It, 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 it's like somebody's um, unresolved nightmare, um, and it represents all sorts of strand, unreconstructed and um, uh, uh, strands of brutality. It's extraordinary. But then, in the middle of it all, of all of this um, noise and conversation there's a work of complete simplicity in the middle of it. it punctuates the rest of all of this form and activity and it's the dog and it's the first time because there was no one else around and you know i'm always affected by what's happening around me i was completely stopped dead in my tracks um and i sat down and um it sounds so completely pretentious that if I heard myself saying this, I'd want to do violence to me, frankly, but they were... I cried. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was also what was happening at the time, um, and I was probably feeling rather depressed. But it struck me just... My first response to that piece of art was that here was somebody who had an intuitive understanding of how I felt. And if art means anything in a personal way, if we respond personally, it, it, it has to be because we make a connection with somebody. In other words, 
that it's the most articulate expression of us understanding that we're not alone. Mm. And here's this piece, and I, I, without, dec- without sort of analysing it, just my response, it felt that I was looking at somebody who completely understood a sense of alienation, a sense of what it felt like, use the word drowning, but what it felt like to be truly bleak and, of course, also to understand what it feels like not to have hope, but at the same time, if you look at the dog's face, aspire towards hope in any event. The dog isn't dead. Mm. Absolutely. And just to describe Mm, the painting visually. Oh, sorry. No, 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 absolutely. This is lovely. Mm. But um, just because I think it will aid what what Mm. we're talking about, it's a vertical painting with about two-thirds is filled with an an earthy ochre palette. It's very, very minimal, the painting. And then Mm. on the the bottom, there's a sweep of brown Mm. rising upwards like a hillock. And as you've said, there's a there's a small dog, but we only see the head. The mm. body's entirely submerged. So all we see Devoured. really, absolutely. Mm. I mean, it's a very abstract painting in a sense, but it's but also now it's got a dog in it. I mean, it sort of makes it more more real. But this sense of the dog looking up, I find it. I don't see what you see in it, mm. and, I, and I know it's it's unusual because everyone talks about it being bleak and pessimistic. But I I see it as as hopeful in that he's in this situation. That's was, a, that's an important word. Mm. It's clearly hopeful. Mm. I mean, that's 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 why I I was troubled by the description of the dog drowning. Yes, the dog isn't being consumed. In I I that's that's very much the point. Look at the position of the dog's head. Yeah. Look at where he's looking towards. He's looking up mm. towards at something. His ears are cocked. Yeah, <laughs> that really matters. Yes. And it really matters that he's looking away from the bleakness. The uphill The struggle. uphill. The up, right. <laughs> yeah, ahead that, of him. Right. Mm. That, that, that the head could have existed, could have, could have been painted completely differently. Mm. Um, also, the proportions matter. I mean, look how much sky, if that's what it is, mm. how much light there is as opposed to how much darkness Absolutely. there is at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and where our eye goes in the middle of, of the work. Mm. It's just incredibly strange against the backdrop of the rest of the series. Does against... it really pop out? Right. I haven't seen it in real life, does it? Oh, well, well, we, we must go. <laughs> but with them all in front of you, does it really sort of stand it's out? It's extraordinary. Being... Mm. I mean, all of these sort of strange, um, surreal, surrealist sort of forms, this birth of sort of modern painting, all this crazy stuff. And then in the middle of it, a work of just total simplicity, three bits, a dog, three-quarter sky, and then what looks like some other form at the bottom. Could it be C? Could it be whatever it is? What it definitely is to me is somebody exploring ideas of loneliness, of feeling alone, of feeling... Uh, it's such a difficult word, so I'm going to use it anyway, but uh, uh, depressed. Um, and, and again, it's so interesting to see it flat on a page printed out and how different it feels. And also to know that it was painted onto a wall mm. at some point, I think really does matter to how you respond to it. Mm. You know, just well, it was private. It wasn't meant for public it, consumption, right? And the fact that we do call it the dog, and the curators have given it the title "the dog," right? It, it means nothing because it, Goya didn't give it that title. It was no. just a something that he felt he wanted to paint. 
And I think, I believe it was painted on the wall outside his bedroom as well. I know, just think about so, that. Yeah. Right, good Lord. His inner sanctum, and that's the image that he went to bed to every night. Right. And that perhaps gives it a, a, a sense that we're trying to sort of understand its underlying purpose, which I'm not even sure is a good idea. Mm. I'm mm. never persuaded by that. I mean, the idea that we uh, are trying to understand what the artist intended, I'm not convinced that that matters a great no. deal. I mean, you know, in literature or poetry, of course, there is a there was an intention. It's 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 right that, you know, there are clearly sort of mad ideas of what things are definitely not about. But I think it matters more how we respond to it. Um, and here we have somebody that we know was suffering, suffering quite deeply. Um, but as you say, had that outside of his bedroom. It'd be difficult to to imagine that it was just pure nihilism or pure depression. You know, if you're waking up to that in the morning and you can see it, something so really quite simple, it must have had a, well, I intuitively think, a much more sort of simple message at its heart for him. Do you I have a postcard of the work? Of course. Do you? Mm. Yeah. So it's important to take it keep... everywhere, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, again, it, you know, you, you talk about my favourite work of art. Listen, it's a, it's, it's quite a depressing piece. Yeah. Um, and you don't respond to it at all. Not in that sense, no, not at all. What does I it mean, do for you? Um, <laughs> I just see it as that, you know, whatever situation you're in, however bad things are, there's mm. always hope. This too shall pass. You know, there's the fact that he's looking forward, he's looking upwards. He's not going to be in this situation forever. It's having the faith that whatever's, whatever hell we're in at the moment, mm. it's going to get better. Um, but but I, it's interesting, he's alone. Yeah. All of the other work is populated, all of it. Mm. Well. With stuff. Yeah, sat and devouring his son. It's only populated because he's eating his son. Right, there's, stu there's stuff <laughs> yeah. in it. There's nothing, yeah, definitely. you know, that, that the composition has... Hugely. Yeah, and I think this, this piece really shows, because they talk about Goya, art historians talk mm. about, Goya is being a straddling, you know, he was the last old master and, and he was the, the first. first modern. Yeah. Right. So, and this piece for me really shows that, I think. Mm. Um, so, uh, so you've kept the postcard. You think it's, you think, mm, I've, I've, I, to find, to follow, if you find it such a depressing piece. You're so Pollyanna-ish. Because it matters. <laughs> Why does it matter? It matters in this way, right? Um, uh, I mean, we're talking about my favourite work of art, but, um, you know, I think, I've said to you before, we've met before. No, no, no. Um, I, I really didn't get opera for years and years. You know, used to go, nothing happened. You know, like bad sex, really. As far as I mean. just, just, just nothing. Just sitting there, going through the motions. Absolutely awful. Um, God, imagine. You know. um, <laughs> and I mentioned, what is this fuss about? You know, I play instruments, and I'm like, goodness me, this is a complete snooze fest. And then... I don't care how, you know, simple it is. I went to see John Copley's La Boheme. I got great seats. Really did matter. And something happened. Um, I, I, I was in the right frame of mind. That was important. And um, I, I was mesmerised and couldn't move. And it was almost like a key opening a door. And since then, um, I, I've been able to listen to tons more. It sort of opened something mm. within me to give me a greater understanding of what it was all about. I just mm. needed that thing. And for me, this painting represents three things. A sort of this moment in my life which 
really represented the first time I was affected. It's a powerful thing, like affected by art. You know, so often you walk around um, galleries and you're like, yep, you, you, you might pretend or virtue signal that you've kind of understood how wonderful the painting is, but it's so difficult to look and experience the painting. They generally speaking, for me, don't touch, don't touch me. I sort of walk past and go, yeah, right, done, seen that, you know, like a sort of crazed tourist ticking, off, ticking the boxes. Mm. So this was a really important moment. It was the first time I went, I don't know, we're allowed to swear on her, aren't we? Oh. Probably not. Oh, I went, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> or words to that effect. Mm. And so for a piece of work of any kind, really, but that this to have been so affecting, um, to trigger within me such a reaction that I, I don't care. I mean, like I say, I mean, I say, I obviously I don't care. I must care. It sounds a bit pretentious or embarrassing, but there it is. I, I, I cried looking at it. Yeah. And secondly, because of that, what it did was, as I've said earlier, um, it gave me a sense that here was somebody that could completely figuratively describe what it felt like you say to have hope, and I understood that, but to have hope in the course of feeling completely lost otherwise. Lost, but nevertheless struggling on. Mm -hmm. Sticking your head out despite you being up to your neck in it. Yeah. Or feeling alienated. Or feeling like you're the only person that... Um, the only person that's experiencing any species of bleakness. Mm. But nevertheless, as you say, looking upwards. And that was where I was particularly at that moment. Um, and uh, uh, thirdly, uh, uh, just because for me of uh, the fact that something so simple can be so profound and beautiful. Yeah. And so I carry it round, or I have it, I actually have it in a really ugly bag I keep everywhere. I've got incredibly superstitious, all these weird things. Conversation for another time. But I definitely have the, the postcard that I carry with me. And that's a long-winded way of describing it, but it just sends me back there. Mm. And strangely, that's not a depressing thing. It makes me feel connected to that moment. It makes me feel that things are going to be okay. Not in a hopeful way that you see this painting. It makes me feel that I can respond to a piece of art, to other people. Um, it's a really enabling work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Would it matter to you mm. if I said they might not be authentic? I've heard this. Yeah. Well, so, I don't No. It doesn't matter. What does it matter to me whether, whether they're by Goya or not? Yeah. Well, I know. Well, look, I mean, look, they've been pulled off the wall. So how much of the paint is original? Yeah. I mean, forget about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can what? even see. I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, yes. Mm. No, of course not. Because it was a... Oh, thing. no, I'm utterly... Uh, no, no, I'm utterly... Uh, I give utterly don't care about that sort of thing. Not at all. Because there's a, an, an academic in Spain called Juan Jose mm. Junquer, and he was a professor of art history who was commissioned to write about them. Mm. And in the course of his research, he found documents, documentary evidence that said that there wasn't um, a second floor to the house that Goya lived in, the Quinta del Sordo. There was no mm. second floor. And a lot of these were found on the second floor. Um he sold it to his grandson, or he, was, he gave it to his grandson, mm. and there's an idea that maybe the, the, mm. the son of uh, Goya... Fine by me. ...did it as a kind I'm of I'm completely uninterested in, in greatness. Right. I mean, you know, it's... Or, or, or those who confer greatness on others. Mm. I mean, it, it's the work that you respond to. Mm. You know, I, I went round the Picasso Year of Wonders exhibition and thought, gosh, so glad I didn't meet him, and so wonderful he's not around now to be... Um, well, publicly eviscerated by the hashtag MeToo movement with all those head penises, etc. Um, and completely unmoved by it. Mm. You know, and I couldn't care less whether it's by, by Picasso or who it's by. If work has virtue and you respond to it, that's just great. Yeah. Um, and I care a lot about that. I care a lot about, when I say I'm enabled by this piece of art, it's because I had a massive reaction yes. to it. I mean, yes, they were called the black painting, so I came with a degree of baggage and expectation. But, you know, I didn't, you know, I knew a little bit about Goya, and of course... And of course, this one's probably the least black of them all. Right, exactly palette. so, exactly so. Mm. But, no, I couldn't give a, a, a monkeys. Okay. <laughs> it, um, and, and I'd be nervous about anybody that, that did, really. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, imagine that you have a, an authentic response to a piece of work, mm. and you go, well, actually, it's not by the same person. Well, I mean, that, that's invalid now. Mm. I mean, what sort of person would you be? That would be really, don't you think? Yeah. No, well, definitely, definitely. definitely. Uh, I mean, I, yes, but if he was painting them because he was at the, the late stages of his life mm -hmm. and these were insights into his soul, into his tortured being, and then we find out that actually they were why do they pastiches. Be, well, why did they, what, pastiches to how he, somebody's projected how he, yeah. he may have felt? Maybe. Um, so I'm not even convinced that um, they need to be projections of his soul. Mm. I mean... Are you? Do, I mean, the, no, to no. that extent. The, 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 <laughs> no, I'm just asking the question. It's your favourite work of art. I'm just asking if it makes no, a difference. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't it think it would. Okay. I don't think it they, would. They probably did do them. <laughs> I mean, they do. I mean, the the, the, the colour palette, particularly that, you can see some of that in the earlier work. Some of the, the shading, the painting. I mean, but a good deal of the painting can't be original. No, I mean, I mean the it's fact been that restored it's off a wall in right, the late nineteenth century. Right, it's been restored within an inch of its life. So, I mean, how much of it is original anyway? Exactly, is yeah. is, is is frankly a discussion to yeah. be had. I mean, it's not a discussion. It isn't mm. uh, an original. Hugely restored, yeah. Right, hugely restored. I mean, how much of it exists? Exactly. So, I I don't know. Um, no, so, taking you back to when you were younger, what, mm. did you grow up in a particularly arty family? Did you go oh, to art galleries? God, no. No, 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 no. The way I sound, people have seen all sorts of things. No, no. Um, bloody hell not. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> no. Um, I grew up in very, um, well, working class Southgate, respectable working class Southgate, um, and uh, to a, with a single mum who um, is an extraordinary person in as far as, you know, when she said she wanted uh, me to be happy, she really meant it. Mm. No, it's exhausting. I mean, I've said this in the past. I've got absolutely nothing interesting to write about in an autobiography. I've got absolutely, you know... That's perfect, isn't it? That means you had a very happy upbringing. Well, I mean, not really. I just, you know, nothing of any... I mean, you know, when I got divorced, I went and spoke to my mum. She said, how can I be mindful in this conversation? I said, well, you could say something at least... You know, of interest. So I've got something thrilling to write in a column about how dreadful you were. Or, you know, coming out to my mum and there she was saying, oh, goodness me, I just hope that you're happy and that's all fine. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. In other words, um, not necessarily privileged in a financial sense or in a cultural sense, but experiencing the most important privilege of all, which was unconditional love. Yeah. And certainly very aspirational. Um, but no, art did not pay, play a um, a big part in my upbringing. In fact, I've written about this, you know, um, and I've written about it a lot. Uh, 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 <laughs> and and I felt very alienated from art galleries. Felt that they weren't for me. Um, and, and the issue of of class in general, um, feeling that um, n- not just that they were at arm's length, but that I couldn't partake in the well, I couldn't take part in the conversation at all. Um, not at all. And that stayed with me for years, in fact, into my 30s. I mean, I wouldn't go around saying things like, oh, I don't know much about art. Um, it's just that uh, I wasn't in any way confident in my opinions about it mm. at all. Um, and the, I mean, I think the first time I, we went to, we went obviously on school trips and went to the National Gallery and we looked at the Turners, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wind, steam, and speed, isn't it? The, um, but I love that. Yeah. You know, you can just get it. Mm. You know. um, but otherwise, no, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know, it was all sort of, no offence to him, but, you know, Jack Vetriano prints and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, Beryl Cook. Oh, Beryl Cook, yeah. Bless her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's what it was. And, uh, you know, I don't criticise that work. You know, um, my, my family really responded mm. to that sort of thing. Prince and that's that's fine. Um, but I definitely felt that um, I wasn't to be included in the conversation about art. It was for other people. Mm. And, you know, that's still kind of... You, you, you never really get over that. You never really feel, I think... More. It's very difficult to um, ever move beyond that, to feel that perhaps you're an imposter, your opinions are less valid than another person. Mm. Um, I think this is such a shame about art. I mean, it's it has such a barrier. People are so terrified of it sometimes and they worry about saying the wrong thing. Always they worry about saying the wrong yeah. thing. And also when you talk about art with a friend, I mean, especially you... <laughs> So, I know nothing. I think this is a hopeful oh, painting. Please help. <laughs> no, no, it sort of is. I mean, but you know, uh, you know, and, so, and, and people you, all the time must come and say to you, um, "Oh, I don't know very much," mm. or there must that must be the thing. It's like you know, when, especially with when you're speaking to somebody that has real expertise about things um, or expresses an interest. Sure, I mean, people are not just terrified; they're terrified of getting it wrong. Yeah. And one of the difficulties that it feels very often you go to art galleries and spaces that. There is a sort of um, that it's it feels owned by people who 
Um, I don't think they do it deliberately, but it's not often very inclusive um, in all sorts of ways. I mean, for me, because it's my personal lived experience, and it, it, I think it's perhaps the biggest barrier entries are, are, are perhaps class than, than, than any other what these days might be described as intersection, but that's how it feels. Mm. You know, people know how to stand and look at paintings and there's conversations and there's certain words that are to be used and stuff. And you're not ever allowed to say, goodness me, that's shit. And it might be. And that's valid response, you know. Um, The other problem now in the sort of big exhibitions, of course, is that they're just completely packed. Yes. I mean, what's the point? Mm. You're going to be, to say that you've been, aren't you? And when it's like that, there's right. ten people in front of a painting, and you right, and I and, and that really matters. And, and it, it, you know, it's coming back to what we were talking about earlier, um, it, it's it's really hard to, I think, have an authentic reaction to a painting or to any work if there's fifty of them and thousands of people around. You know, just like. The reason I had my first meaningful, meaningful, no, first time I got opera. And boy, I mean, it was like overwhelming. Um, or I saw this was because of all of the other variables happening in the background. There was no one there. I got to look. You know, that really did matter. You know, I didn't feel self-conscious. I wasn't being watched or watching other people. Um, there was quiet. Mm. I think all of that stuff really does, you know, influence people's experience. Um, the other thing, of course, is art education. I mean, you know, lots of my friends you know, now, I mean, we talk about privilege, grew up where they had sort of art history lessons and all of that stuff. I mean, I, mean, I, I certainly didn't have that. I, mean, I was thrown out of art class. What did you do? Oh, God, that was me, I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, poor darling. I mean, I, I, that's the other thing. I mean, I have no transferable skills, no talent. And that's an important other element. Um, so you, you can't draw paint, it's not... Draw, no, useless. Right. Okay. I mean, completely. But that, of course, is, you know, the thing that you don't have, it's what you aspire to, what you respect in somebody else. Mm. I mean, I can't even hold a hammer, you see, useless. Um, so <laughs> that's the thing. When, when you see something great like that, it's like watching somebody's talent. It's being immersed in their kind of authentic enthusiasm, their genius. I mean, it's just, it's just sexy as all hell, isn't it? Thank you know. you. I think that's a perfect place to leave it, actually, Thank Rob. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in. No, it's a pleasure. Today we were talking about The Dog by Goya, painted sometime between 1820 and 1823. Spanish painter and printmaker Francisco Goya was born in 1746 and died aged 82 in 1828. Towards the end of his life, Goya painted murals directly onto the plaster walls of his house. Bleak, pessimistic, mysterious, these works were never intended to be displayed publicly, and it wasn't until 50 years after his death that they were taken down and transferred to canvas. The dog is now on display at the Prado Museum in Madrid. In the first series of My Favourite Work of Art, I spoke to film director Gillis McKinnon about another of Goya's black paintings, a rather gruesome image called Saturn Devouring His Son. If you enjoyed today's episode, please listen to Gillis's episode too. If you'd like to see the artwork we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag My Favourite Work of Art. The show was recorded at Wisebudder in London. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.